SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. Welcome back to the Sportsbeat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KUB reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week by CJ Moore of The Athletic and Bleacher Report, live from his car. CJ, how you doing? <laughs> Good. On my way up to Lincoln. I'm driving through beautiful Kansas City, Missouri right now. Heading over. Well, as you guys know, KU is about to take on Nebraska, and CJ is heading up there to uh, talk to a little bit of Tim Miles and see how KU performs in this game. But we're going to talk a little bit about the state of KU basketball as it relates right now. The Jayhawks have now lost two games in a row uh, after losing to Washington at Sprint Center, lost to Arizona State at Allen Fieldhouse. CJ, I know you were at the game against Arizona State. You kind of wrote your own piece about that, so you can talk a little bit about that. But what do you see from the Jayhawks right now, and I guess what do you see – uh, what do you foresee for them moving forward? Is this a, a real reason for panic for Jayhawk fans? Oh, man. Well, um, the sun keeps coming out, so that's a positive. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I mean, I think there's – obviously there's issues with this team right now. I mean, the, we we can't deny that at all. You, you just lost to – you know, the Washington loss was a bad loss. Arizona State loss has been terrible, but that's just – you shouldn't give up, what, 95 points at Alfield House. Those things just don't happen. And while Arizona State has a fantastic offense and they've been scoring at a pretty high rate all season, I think it, they definitely, um, you know, showed some, some issues with the Kansas defense, the, the ability to keep the ball in front of you, the ability to guard the three-point line, which I think you've written about. Um, you know, we're just too many easy – like room and rhythm threes, just letting guys get off, you know, too easy of shots. And, and I think there's – comes down to, you know, one, their, their defense is kind of built to try to, you know, they should be pressuring up on the perimeter and funneling guys to Udoka as a bouquet. And I think because he's gotten in foul trouble some and because he knows that he cannot get in foul trouble, his ability as a rim protector is kind of inhibited because he's not – you know, he's almost like it's, it's like a, uh, a guy who's got the yips and putting or, you know, or a, a shooter who's just got, going through a confidence thing, like kind of like Steve's doing on the offensive end. I think Udoka might have, like, some defensive yips right now. And, um, you know, I pointed out in my story that his his block rate is about 5% lower, I think, Jesse, isn't that right, from, from last year? Yeah, it's almost, and, it's um, almost half. Uh, I, I looked that up and actually wrote a story about it today, too, that his block rate was 12.8 uh, last year in his 11 games, and this year through nine games it's 7.0. So, uh, yeah, yeah so similar sample size. And similar competition, uh, probably, too, because he played these teams yeah. in the preseason. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, minutes are probably up a little bit, but still that's, you know, there's a, the last year was two more games. So it's probably about the, probably a similar number of minutes, I would guess. And um, so anyway, I think I think that – he needs uh, to, you know, maybe be a little better. And obviously the guards need to pressure up on the perimeter and, and then keep guys in front of them. And, and Arizona State's a really, really hard team to do that. But, but Washington gave them some issues as well. And, you know, I don't think Washington's going to score a bunch of points against people this year. So um, definitely some defensive issues. And I think offensively you're seeing this team is just so reliant on three guys, with Gerald Vick, 
Devontae Graham and Svee Mikhailuk. And when one of those guys or two of those guys are kind of off, I think that the, the offense is, is hurt. And, you know, I, I wrote about how I think they looked to, you know, they, early in that second half against Arizona State, they really – you could see there was a priority to get the ball inside, whether it was throwing it to Udoka or driving. And when they threw it into Udoka, you know, he, he just – he didn't quite have his post-up game going in that in that particular contest. And I don't know that he's ready for, like, a huge workload yet, just where he is. And, like, we've talked about it. I think he's farther along in his timeline than, than I thought he would be. But still, I don't think he's, like, a high-volume guy yet. You know, he's just better finishing off lobs, getting your occasional post-up, that kind of stuff. And then – you know, this team has just not driven the ball well. And when they drove it against Arizona State, they, they got blocked several times there early in that second half. And their free throw rate is incredibly, incredibly low. So it's, you know, kind of the issues we've been talking about and worried about all year with them not, ha- you know, not having Frank Mason and Josh Jackson anymore to go get easy buckets that way. It's when this team's not hitting three-pointers, you know, what's the offense look like? What, what are they going to do? How are they going to figure that out? And I, I still think that I think they're in a point right now where they're searching. I, I want to talk about the offense, CJ, because there's been a lot made of it. Bill Self spoke to reporters yesterday just saying, hey, look, guys, I love to play four guards as much as anybody, but I like averaging 24 to 25 free throws a game compared to 10. And some guys need to get better at that. You mentioned the free throw rate. KU's free throw rate is second worst in the nation. Yeah, I look at the numbers, and, I mean, KU is right now 16th in offensive efficiency, and, yeah, you, you want it better than that, and it can be better than that, but I just wonder how concerned you are with the offense because when I look at it, I see some positives. I, I see some things that are, are being done well, but yet there are some, some rather glaring negatives that can be fixed over time, but I, I'm not sure if I'm ready. I think the freak out to me would be more defensively than offensively, even though those numbers haven't been hurt as much in recent games but I just want to kind of get your take on the offense how much of a concern you think that is you talked about the three-pointers you talked about the free throw rate uh, is that enough to drive KU's offensive value down to a point where you think that it, it's not sustainable and and you don't think that this team can be successful like years past yeah I think they're they're kind of a boomer bust offense in a way like when they're hitting they're going to look awesome this year. And I, it's kind of similar to Florida. Like, Florida's looked unreal in some games. And they're very reliant on their perimeter guys and, and hitting outside shots. But they've lost to some really bad teams, too. Not to say Arizona State is bad, but, you know, Washington's probably not very good. You know, they went and to, uh, played to Gonzaga and got, got smoked right after playing KU. So, um, you know, I think that when those shots aren't falling, yeah, you don't really have another pitch. You don't have necessarily a way to, to score consistently. And you kind of scoffed at it last week when I mentioned, you know, against Power 5 teams, their offense hasn't looked great. Well, there, there was another game. You know, they, they granted, they did score, one, what was it, 85 points eight, in that game? 85 points, 1.1 1. 1 points, points for possession. possession. Yeah, 1. 1. Yeah, 1.1 points per possession. But, but they definitely had a stretch in that second half where they were really struggling to score. And in, in the past, it's like that you can just maybe throw it to Frank Mason and he can kind of get you through that time or you you can throw it to a post guy and he can kind of you know you can just there's a way for Bill Self to manufacture baskets where this year it's just like they're so so reliant on three and you do want to see them a couple straight games against like power five teams actually score to high level because most of their point production the high high points per game or points per possession they've put up this year which they put up some incredible numbers 
they've come against teams that are, you know, are mid-major level teams. So you, you do kind of want to see them now, okay, what can you do against a Power 5 team? And this, this weekend's an opportunity. Nebraska, while offensively they're not great, defensively they've got some, some weapons, they've got some length, they've got some size, and they really do a good time, job of, of throw, or running things off the three-point line. They're kind of like the man version of, of Washington, and, and I'd say the talent level is probably pretty similar to Washington as well. Here's something interesting, CJ, I, I want to get your take on, because I was just kind of perusing the numbers here. And, again, we're talking about KU being 16th in offensive efficiency right now. As we know in basketball, there's the four factors of basketball and kind of the four things that make up what your offense and your defensive uh, offense and defense are. There's shooting, there's turnover percentage, there's offensive rebounding percentage, there's free throw rate. And we also know from Dean Oliver's studies, shooting is most important, turnovers are second most important, rebounding is third most important, and free throw rate is fourth most important. I was kind of trying to look and see who is similar to this Kansas team. And let me just read off these numbers to you. Here's Kansas uh, compared to 2016 Iowa State with your boy George Niang, okay? Effective field goal percentage, KU is sixth nationally. That Iowa State team was fifth. Turnover percentage, KU is 49th. Iowa State was 30th. Offensive rebounding, KU is 171st. That Iowa State team was 281st. And free throw rate, KU's 350th. Iowa State was 349th. That Iowa State team ended up seventh in offensive efficiency. So, again, it's just kind of jaw-dropping to me. We've talked all the time about how has Iowa State built up these offenses under Fred Hoiberg that have been just as good as KU's offenses, or in this case, Steve Prohm in his first year at, at Iowa State. How have they been able to kind of compete with KU offensively? It's by playing the style, and it's amazing to me in the course of two years that KU has completely changed its whole course of offense so much that I'm saying KU's offense almost is an identical replica of Iowa State's offense two years ago. How crazy is that? Yeah, I mean, it, it basically comes down to personnel, and this is how they have to play with who they have. And it, it makes it so, so important that they get another big guy who maybe brings them a little more offense, hopefully Billy Preston, because they don't really have a changeup, and, you know, that Iowa State team, while they were super reliant on three, they had a dynamic playmaker inside in George Nang who yes. you could throw it to in the you could throw it to anywhere. And KU doesn't really have a guy like that any anywhere close to that. I mean, Billy Preston would probably be the closest guy on the roster that I you know, he's not nearly ready to take on that kind of role, I don't think. But they you know, they they need more weapons. They 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 definitely need more weapons than what they currently have. It is very, very difficult, and you're seeing this, to have seven scholarship players and play at a consistent high level. I mean, it's just a really, really hard thing to do. So um, I, I think it's, it's so important that they get more bodies. And we still don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see Stan Cunliffe this weekend, but um, I know you got kind of an update sort of yesterday on, on the status of, of the two big guys. So – um, kind of where do you see that, Jesse? I mean, where, 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 what, if you had to uh, bet some money on, on those two guys, you know, take, take each as an individual, where, where do you kind of see it right now? Well, the update from Bill Self on both of them was this. You know, with Billy Preston, he did say that he was optimistic that it could have something turn out in KU's favor in a positive way. 
But it's funny to me, kind of the feedback I get from people is like, how could it take this long? How could KU's investigation take this long? Because Bill Self said that, that whatever KU had found and, and what uh, their findings were had not been sensing in NCAA yet. I, I mean, it seems like, and again, I don't have inside knowledge of this, but it seems like people are answering their own questions. You know what I mean? Like, if it's taken two months to figure out the financial situation with this car and investigate that fully, then something's going on. You know what I mean? It's pretty obvious by now that something's not right with what happened with Billy Preston and the situation of him driving around the car. So, it sounds like Bill Self is optimistic that um, at least that KU believes that there's a case for him to play the rest of this year. Otherwise, you know, they could, if they had his best interest in mind, if they didn't think he was going to play, they probably would just say, hey, Billy, look, you have professional options elsewhere. You can go play basketball here or there and help out your pro future. The fact he's still with Kansas and practicing with them, I think that's a positive sign for KU. And at least publicly, you would think in the next week or so, KU will come forward with what they have found and their findings and say, hey, it's in the NCAA's hands now. And with that, you would think they might kind of put the NCAA's feet to the fire a little bit to say, okay, this is what we found. We took two months to investigate this. Now it's your turn to kind of speed up this process and figure out what the final ruling should be with him. As far as Sylvia D'Souza goes, uh, supposed to maybe know his test scores by this week. That's what he said on Twitter. Uh, if he does pass the SAT, Bill Self said there's still some clearinghouse issues, which kind of like a similar case with Shek Diallo, where you know you have to go back to the African country and figure out, okay, what translates over is this course good enough to be counted as good coursework for the NCAA Eligibility Center? Only in this case, it's Angola. So KU has to get some people in there that speak French or Portuguese and all this stuff. Listen, they've got people to do that. So Bill Self said there might be a few more hoops to jump through, but the bottom line with it is going to be the biggest thing is, is the standardized test score. If he passes that, he'll likely be with KU now. They want him sooner rather than later. Could there be some eligibility stuff with Angola that pushes it back a few more weeks than they want? There could be, but I think if that SAT score passes, he'll be at KU at some point. The problem with that is you want him as soon as possible if you're Bill Self because he's got to learn the whole offense, and that's going to be very difficult for him to do midseason. Yeah, it was quick, quick rant. It's so ridiculous, all those you know kind of loopholes you have to go through in, in that situation. I feel like if a kid's able to be get accepted to a university and the university accepts him, then that should be good enough for the NCAA. Yeah, um, yeah Jay Billis, Jay Billis I, has made that point a lot, which is basically like, hey, if a college accepts you, that, that should be good enough for you to get into college, and there shouldn't be a, yeah, another so, layer, layer of uh, thing you have to go through. But go ahead, continue with your point. And, with, with, and, with, and then with Preston, you know, one, one way to, to look at this could be that, okay, he sat out enough games. You know, it looks like it's an impermissible benefit situation, right? Like that's, that's the most likely scenario here. Yes. And – in those situations in the past with guys, you know, depending on the level of it, the NCAA says, okay, you did this. We're going to ding you this many games. And okay, here you go. So in KU situation, they could be like, all right, based off past um, situations, similar situations, so-and-so sat this many games. All right. We're going to hand it over to the NCAA about this time. And, you know, they'll see Billy, you know, we've penalized Billy. He sat out this many games and hopefully, you know, in their situation, they're thinking, all right, he sat out this many games. We've done everything he's supposed to do to get back. Um, you know, so I'm sure that that's how they're thinking of it. Okay. Hopefully it's a, it's a quick and, and speedy process for the NCAA because they have everything they need. And that's, that's kind of what I gather from, from listening to the quotes from self yesterday is, is that's kind of his hope. Would, would you be 
have similar kind of thoughts about Jesse? Yeah, well, and, I mean, let's give you a little peek behind the curtain here. I mean, let's just be brutally honest. KU has lawyers working on this. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, what, 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 sure, what, Whatever sure. the KU Compliance Department found and returned to KU Athletics, which the KU Compliance Department – you know, is part of KU Athletics but operates separately from them. So basically, like, Bill Self can't poke his nose in on the investigation and say, hey, uh, what's going on? I don't think you should investigate that. So, like, they stay separate. But once the KU Compliance Department has its findings and KU Athletics knows that, then they go to their legal counsel or whoever there is, and they start to figure out, okay, like you said, how many games should he sit out? What are similar cases in the past? H- how to best, I guess, phrase it or, or make it look, you know what I'm saying? Like all these sorts of things uh, t- t- to get Billy Press eligible because, you know, that's obviously a, a big part of this KU, KU roster for the rest of the year is, is getting him available and eligible. So like you said, they're getting their case ready to say, hey, NCAA, here's what we found. Here's what it's similar to. Here's what it is most similar to. Here's what that person sat out, and here's what we suggest happened with Billy Preston. And the fact that Bill Bill Self has continued to say he's optimistic makes me believe that their case that they're presenting or getting ready to present to the NCAA basically would would be a resolution that would have Billy Preston play, playing very soon. Does that all make sense? Jesse, you know, yeah, yeah. You know why this was taking so long? They're going the UNC route, which is you know the UNC kids. It was, oh, well, other students were taking, taking the same <laughs> class. What KU had to do was they had to go get the same car and buy that it. Billy was driving for every other student on campus <laughs> to say, hey, everybody at KU is driving this car. Well, and, and again, so this, this is not to be negative and it's not to be critical because <laughs> the point you're making with UNC – is exactly what I'm talking about. UNC oh, yeah, hired yeah. some great lawyers, yeah. and they found the loopholes, and they and they found that, and the NCAA didn't have much punching power in the end because of all of the legal work that UNC, UNC was able to do. So I would envision and beyond – they took their time on, I, the, on I, that I, UNC deal. Yeah, I yeah. would envision behind the scenes that KU is having a similar process go on that are trying – People are trying the best way possible to, to, to make a case that Billy Preston should be available later this season and that he has already served the punishment for his crime. I, w- I would think that if he hasn't left in the next two to three weeks, like, okay, so now he's finished first semester. If he hasn't left in the next two to three weeks, they feel like they got a pretty good shot that he'll play at some point. Because, you know, after he finishes the first semester, if they don't think he's going to play, like you said, Go play in the D League. Go overseas or do something. You know, you, you, your NCAA eligibility is shot because of whatever, you know, X thing you did. So, it's 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 fascinating, and it's we're it's, we're here in mid December, and we don't know what this KU roster is going to look like in a month, and it's just it's just such a bizarre season. Yeah, even Bill Self doesn't. And also, if KU does come public and say, "Hey, we've sent this to the NCAA. We're awaiting word," then it starts to become a Shakdiello like situation. If you remember what happened with that, CJ. KU was basically openly, and Bill Self was openly kind of challenging the NCAA to say, hey, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right. And then you saw some like national media members pick up on it, Jay Billis. There starts to be some public support against the NCAA, and then maybe you start to, to force a resolution a little bit quicker. We're not at that point yet because of Bill Self saying that they haven't turned their case over to the NCAA yet, but that also could be possible down the line. It is fascinating, and Sam Mellinger wrote about this yesterday. I'd encourage people to go check it out on KansasCity.com, but how this year is just a little bit different. And Bill Self right now, the roster crunch that he has, it's kind of weird because, you know, he didn't envision it this way, and the Billy Preston thing is something unforeseen. 
but it also is sort of of his own doing. If you look back at some of the people that they could have had, you know, they missed out on some recruits last year, and because of that, they decided to take some very talented transfers. But those transfers aren't available this year, so that helps them in 2018, 2019. But it leaves them a little bit in a scholarship crunch in 2017, 18. So you do that along with, you know, Carlton Bragg left the program, Jack Whitman left the program, uh, Dwight Colby was available and he left the program, you know, decided to go to Western Kentucky. And all of a sudden you're left, like you talked about, with the seven scholarship players when Billy Preston's out. And then also this glut of two and three players in there. You know, we talk about Sam Cunliffe, but he's like he's like what they already have. You know, he's the Sweet McKayluke. He's LeGerald Vick. What he does best is kind of something yeah. they already – it's kind of redundant. So they're very short on point guards, Devontae Graham, and that's basically it. And they're very short on fives, Yudoka Azabuki, and that's basically it. I wrote a story today about, you know, in the last two games, there's been four different instances where Bill Self has checked out Yudoka Azabuki and checked him back in within two minutes. And three of those times were within a minute of each other just because he has no other options. He has to go to him even if he's frustrated with him. So this roster crunch is kind of created by the GM, who is Bill Self, but it kind of took a bunch of different things happening to have all these sorts of things fall through. Uh, Billy Preston, Sam Cunliffe, Sylvia D'Souza, they all could help Kansas coming down the line. Like you said, only one of those guys for sure, though, is going to be with KU second semester. Yeah, and if you get both of those guys, you're, you're in a much better number situation. Then you, then you got nine scholarship players. You have plenty of wings. You're still probably short a point. You probably like one more point guard, but you can, you can figure it out a little bit easier because then you can play two bigs sometimes and, and play three perimeter players, so there's not such – a you know need to play four perimeter guys all the time so you know that gets more rest for your perimeter guys you get more rest for your big guys you bump Mitch Lightfoot down to only having to play the four which you know I'm sure you know there's probably some KU fans that are that are riding Mitch Lightfoot right now and and frustrated with him not not his fault Mitch Lightfoot yeah Mitch Lightfoot is playing exactly probably how he should play he should come in he should be an energy guy block some shots not care about fouls you know, knock down a couple of jumpers and play like 10 minutes a game from the four spot. He's having to play the five spot. It's, yeah, like you said, it's not his fault. It's not He's being put a, – a, a coach wants to put a, his guys in opportunity – like great coaches put their, their players in situations for them to succeed. succeed. And Bill Self's usually great at that. But right now he can't put Mitch Lightfoot in situations to succeed because he has to play him at the five. Like that's, that's where he has to play him. And that's not where the guy is, is best suited to play. He's a he's a spot for man who you know maybe later in his career can play heavier minutes. But right now, where he is, he should be trying to come out block shots and not care about fouls. But he has to, and it's it's kind of un, it's, it's really sucks for the kid. And it's kind of unfair for him because he's really not playing that poorly in the way that he should play. Yeah, no, he's not a five. I mean, that's that's evident. Like yeah. the kids, six eight, two ten. Uh, you know, listed and... maybe six. Like, is he really six eight? That's another like. Uh, not sure that's that's accurate. Like, well, I mean, I'm he's just six eight. He's just barely six eight. So, like, yeah, he's so under even six eight undersized to play the five. But you know, he might be more like six 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 seven. So. Well, yeah, it's, it's, I, it's rough for uh, for Miss Lightfoot. Just as a comparison, Svi is six eight two oh five listed. I mean, he's not six eight either. I, I know, but, but 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 you understand what I'm saying. Like they're basically, they're basically within the same similar height. size. They're yeah. similar size, and again, when you're talking about block rate, I mean, Mitch Lightfoot, his block rate is double Udoka's. So I mean, in, in that aspect, I know he's fouled too much, and Bill Self and staff have tried to work on him with that. But you, you said exactly right; he's not a five. He'll never be a five. And it reminds me of last year. You remember 
with what happened with KU and Carlton Bragg. I mean, Carlton Bragg came to KU, McDonald's All-American as a four, and then when KU went to small ball and Josh Jackson got put in that small ball four spot, KU needed a backup five to Landon Lucas, and that kind of became Carlton Bragg's role, and it really just didn't suit him that well. I mean, he added weight, he added yeah. size, but that just wasn't who he was. And again, at the end of the season, he transferred. You kind of see a similar thing with Mitch Lightfoot this year, which is he's doing his best to plug the hole that KU has left for him, but that's not the best position for him to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good example. So um, <laughs> I better pray that one of those one of those things. And, you know, if, if Bradson comes in and he has to play some backup fives, and we, we could be kind of having a similar conversation later this year. Maybe, you know, he's best suited to play the four. But he at least has the size to, to be more of a stopgap there. Yeah, definitely. I want to talk about one of your boys real quick, too, here, since you have so many on the team. You know, there's Svezis, there's uh, everyone, basically. Yeah, yeah, but but Marcus Garrett has kind of had minutes limited lately. Have you seen anything from him? Uh, I know the Arizona State game, he did not play much, and it seems like his leash has gotten a little bit shorter. I, I guess you expect this from a freshman, but what, but what do you think about Marcus Garrett and the uh, prospects for him the rest of the year? I think he's struggling to kind of find his identity offensively. I think defensively he's still been a, a, a weapon, and, you know, that might get him. When they do get more big, it might make it easier for him because there's, you know, maybe he has somebody to throw it into when I think he's trying to fit into how everybody else plays right now and, you know, hit the perimeter shots and stuff like that. He's just not a very good shooter at this point in his development. And he probably shouldn't be taking those threes. He should probably be looking to drive more. So I think he's kind of going through that little – he's hit a little bit of a freshman wall where it's like, okay, how do I play? How do I impact the game in the limited minutes I get? And it can really get in the kid's head and and make it difficult to to play in those those scenarios. So, yeah, I mean, he needs to to just kind of figure out how he can play and succeed better. And right now he's he's struggling to uh, to find that. that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, the only problem with the threes, and I, I know I talked to you about this during the game, is that the ones he was getting were so wide open, and so you know you don't have to be. A but goal. when you but when you can't hit, if you don't have confidence to hit them, even though you're open, you don't you shouldn't always take them. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I just don't think he's that. I, I mean, what's his percentage so far in the year? I know he's hit a couple, but you can watch him in warm ups. He's not a great shooter yet. I mean, he, he kind of like Travis Rutherford. Like Travis Rutherford was not a good shooter early in his career, but he got it eventually. That, that could be the case for, for Marcus Garrett. But, but right now, he should be looking to slash more where he maybe he can be that slasher that they need because, you know, they need more slashers. And he's shown an ability to do that and get in the paint and finish. And uh, that, that's what I think he needs to be concentrating on. It's like Josh Jackson we talked about last year when he was struggling to shoot the ball. Even though guys are off you, sometimes that makes it easier to drive because you get a running start. So – that that's kind of if, you know if I'm him, that's what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to get in the lane, distribute, get to the rim, and, and finish, and and not worry about shooting the three pointer. He's four for sixteen on the year. He's missed his last five, uh, but again, it is kind of a, what do you do in this situation sort of deal. I, I think mostly he's he's accepted his role pretty well, and where KU needs him is just defensively and giving those other guys a break. And so he didn't have a great defensive game against Arizona State. Not as active as he normally was, but. You could definitely still see that down the line for him because he got major minutes early, and the defense for KU just typically looks better when he's in. You know what I mean? Like he he creates things. He he's quick to slide. He can create deflections. He he seems to be up on guys, and 
I think KU loses some of its defensive juice when he's not in there. So uh, maybe that could be something for him moving forward, even if the offense doesn't come, kind of helping KU's defense. Because let's be honest, the last two games, KU's defense has looked sort of dead. They need defensive energy. You're absolutely right. They, 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 they looked flat. In, in both early on against Arizona State, they were flying around. They were playing how they needed to play. But, you know, whether it's a fatigue thing or, or what, they just get tired and don't play with energy. And, and they're, they're a team that doesn't have, like, these great, great defensive weapons other than Garrett. So you just have to play with max energy. And, and I don't think you've seen that in these last two games. I think they've gotten kind of flat. And they're, they're capable of guarding when, when they play with great energy. And I, you're just not seeing that right now. You know, some of it probably does come down to the numbers. All right, CJ, I'm going to wrap it up with this so you can continue on to Lincoln. But Sam kind of tackled this topic in his article yesterday in his column. Uh, he says, every year there's a freakout for KU basketball. Usually happens in January. This year it's in December. Every year Bill Self comes out of it fine. Every year KU wins the Big 12. The freakout meter, 1 to 10. What level do you think KU fans should be at with this team after two consecutive losses, one at Sprint Center, one at Allen Fieldhouse? Uh, man, it, it would be a lot easier to answer this question if I knew what the you know it, what's going to happen with Preston and Silvio yeah. de Cusa. Um, just because those are so up in the air, and you don't know that you know there's a scenario where you could absolutely end up with neither one, right? Like that's that's a possibility. It's a possibility. So I would say the freakout meter is probably like around a six or seven. Okay. Where would you put it? Seven, probably? Yeah. You know, it's tough for me because, like, the logical, rational side of me wants to look at these numbers and say, hey, K's not doing as bad as many people think. You know, I mean, if you look at it. And also say, Bill, self, Bill, self, Bill, self. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I I I was looking at BPI the other day, and last time I checked, KU was number two. And listen, I know what some of these big wins were against. Uh, opponents that were kind of overmatched at Allen Fieldhouse, but like nobody else does that. You know, you don't win those games by 30, 40, 50 against teams like Oakland and Toledo. I mean, that's that's something other teams in the nation haven't done. But but yeah. part of me wonders too. I, I think I'm with you, CJ. I think a lot of KU's problems, most of KU's problems, could be solved with depth. I think if this team plays defensively with more energy and gets after teams, which they have to do because they're playing small. That team is a great team and can be a great team, but it's hard to do that when Devontae Graham is playing 40 minutes, 40 minutes, 39 minutes. Like, it's not sustainable, and and that will wear those guys down the entire season. So I think the the problem that needs to be solved can be solved, but it's not a sure thing that it is going to be solved. So I'm with you. It's almost like you don't know where to put it because this is just such unfamiliar territory for Bill Self. Other than, I mean, when has he been this – not deep with the roster. 2012, I mean, I would even think that team was was more deep than this one, right? Yeah, that team was more de- deep. If, if he wins the Big 12 with the roster the way it's currently constructed with not getting those, those two other big guys, I know he's already in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Put him in, like, another level of the Hall of Fame because it's going to be really, really – if he wins with – it will be now eight scholarship players. But – really one true big I mean for being honest like really one true big man is what they got right now and, if, if and he wins the, the, 
the Big 12 with that, it, it would be, yeah, put put the dude on another level of the Hall of Fame. So I say, can, can, we'll you just, see it. Can, can they permanently put his photo, like, above or below James Naismith? Could that be it? <laughs> yeah, so, so, something like that. But it's uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. But you know, if they get bodies, we're you know, it's, it's we're gonna have to totally rethink how we see this team and they, you know wait five, six, seven games with that group before we can really judge them. So it's hard to judge them right now because you don't want to know what the roster is gonna look like. But if this is the way the roster is constructed. The margin for error is so small, and in conference games, you know they're gonna they're gonna probably drop more conference games than you're used to seeing them drop. Now, I do think the league at the top is not as strong as it's been in some other years, so that helps. I, I think the league is, re- but the league is also really deep, and there's just about, you know, considering KU lost to Washington, it's hard to say that there's like any gimme wins this year because even though Oklahoma State and Iowa State are down, I haven't had a chance to really watch Iowa State closely, but I watched Oklahoma State against against um, Wichita State last week, and they're not good, but they're not terrible. Like they, they they've got enough athletes, enough guys that they can get you in Stillwater. So it's it's going to be uh it's going to be a tough year in that regard if you, if you got the the small num- numbers just because the league is so deep. Yeah, Oklahoma State 56th in Ken Palm, Iowa State 64th, and uh, just as a reminder, Washington right now ranks 128th, and that game was at Sprint Center. So I think, I think when you're talking about, hey, you can't mark down anything as a, as a win on the road, um, <laughs> you obviously can't really even mark it down as a win at home if, if KU's going to perform like it did at the Sprint Center. I know Sprint Center is not Allen Fieldhouse, but KU just dropped a game there as well. Big 12 by far the top Ken Pomeroy conference, but I agree with your point, which is, there have been some years, you know, think back to the KU-Texas years where, like, okay, I can definitely foresee Texas winning this thing because Texas has XYZ players and, and a great whatever. With this year, it's more like I could see one of those teams going on a nice run and knocking off KU, but I don't know which one it is. But the fact that there are a West Virginia and a Texas Tech and a TCU and a Baylor and an Oklahoma and a Texas, you probably could – you, I could foresee a scenario any of those teams win the Big 12, right? I mean, the, the fact that there's five of them makes it kind of a dangerous yeah. scenario where you could say, hey, I'm not sure that one of those five teams is necessarily the best team in the conference, but I could see them going on a nice little run, win a few close games, and, and winning the conference. So it'll be a challenge for KU this year, but it would it's a challenge the last 13 years, and Bill Self always finds a way. So uh, we'll see if he can do the same thing this year. What, what, what would you say, CJ? Is it going to be 14 for Kansas? I mean, I'm never going to bet against Bill Self. So, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'll still say there's, there's still going to be my pick. But, um, man, if, if they don't get one, at least one of those two guys, it's, I, I might I, – I, I would seriously consider some other teams. So, we'll see. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. Let CJ get up to Lincoln. Uh, CJ, any final comments? Any places I need to eat in Lincoln uh, to let me know about? I'll, I'll have a better report for you after uh, after I you know spend a spend a day or so there. So I've only been to Lincoln. I think I think I've only been one other time. How about you? How many trips did you make up during the old Big Twelve days? Yeah, a few. You know, I actually even got to watch a game back when the Big Twelve had had twelve teams. Wasn't that wild? Yeah, craziness. I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, son. When, when I was younger. The Big 12 actually had 12 teams, believe and, it or not. And the Big 10 had 10. <laughs> Amazing. 
Uh, yeah, no, it went up even a, there was a KU football game up there at Memorial Stadium in Nebraska. So it's it was pretty cool that before the Big 12 did dissolve, I was able to get a, a road football game at both A&M and Nebraska, which are kind of two of the great sites to play. But, yeah, some, some basketball games at the Devaney Center too. So this will be a new experience at the new uh, – the new arena they have up there, but I can only imagine those fans. Pinnacle, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the fans are going to be fired up uh, to face Kansas. The, uh, haven't been able to do it the wa- at home in a while. The watering hole, if I remember right, has some pretty dang good wings. Okay, I'll remember. And um, that's that's all I remember right now. So so we'll see. We'll uh, I'm meeting with Timmy Miles today. Hopefully he has some uh, some suggestions. Well, the only thing with Tim Miles, you have to bring up Ken Pomeroy. I know he's a big fan just like me, so be sure to bring up the name when you're with oh, him. Oh, great. Oh, great. <laughs> All right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up. I'll see if he gushes like you do. It's a talking point. Come on, CJ. I'm trying to help you out. <laughs> trying to, I, I appreciate the appreciate the help, Jesse. Uh, you know, they're, they're a program that's in a in an interesting spot. They could they could definitely use the momentum from a, a win against Kansas. You know the and. And even though Nebraska like hasn't been great in recent years, that building is still usually really juiced, and, and I, I imagine it's going to be rocking on uh, on on Saturday. So that Nebraska is almost like a little bit like a sleeping giant, just because the interest is there, and they have a really really good facility, and you know they really really support their team. So um, I, I, you know, at some point, I think Nebraska here in the next five or so years could. You could look at them at a, in, a, in a different way than what you do right now. So, and they're getting KU at the right time. We'll, we'll, we'll see. But like I said, I think it's a similar kind of talent level makeup as, as Washington. But uh, it could be a could be a pretty good game. Yep, they definitely got great fans. There's there's no question about that. We're gonna wrap up the Sports Beat KC podcast for CJ. This is Jesse. Be sure to tune in for another episode next week. SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase.